Hello, welcome everyone to the Tom Benty Media Podcast. I am here today with Cornell instructor Manuel Vexler, and he is an instructor of digital transformation at Cornell. So, Manuel, thank you so much for joining us today. Tom, it's a pleasure to see you again and uh, looking forward to a fruitful conversation. Great, great. Me too. And I think we should start with basically what an overview of digital transformation is. Can you please explain to myself and also to my audience what exactly digital transformation is? Uh, I don't promise I'll be exactly, but I can tell you what is the common um, the, the common uh, way people look at digital transformation and a little bit different the way we looked after instructing probably three, 400 people and, uh, and understanding how uh, we need to look at the digital transformation in a more complex scenario. So to start with, everybody recognizes that digital transformation is digitalization, is the technology, and there is a long chain of technologies, uh, no pun intended, but blockchain is part of it, cryptocurrency, fintech, uh, IoT, um, and of course, uh, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, and, and the, the list go on, cloud computing. Uh, and and uh, Zoom including, by the way. Uh, the, if we look at, uh, at really what digital transformation means, it is a much more complex process of transformation. In a previous podcast, I referred to it to, 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 it, to be transformation digital because the keyword is transformation, it's not digital. And it's a transformation that it's really triggered by the technology, but it's a much more complex transformation process. And I refer to it uh, like a three-legged stool. We already covered the digital part, the digitalization. But there are two other important uh, reasons and the two important parts to digital transformation. Uh, the first one is business model transformation. Is the relationship with your uh, partners, with your suppliers, with your customers, with your ecosystem, with, your, with the environment. So this part actually is essential in starting the process of digital transformation because it answers the question of why, not how. How is the technology? Why is the business reason? And uh, when we think of a three-legged stool, uh, the other aspect which is crucial, it's social. And in some way, this is the longest and the more complex process of digital transformation, which implies or involves cultural transformation. It's involving reskilling of people. It's involving changing of the organization. So it's a change that affects both the uh, stockholders and the stakeholders of the company. And as any three-legged stool, it cannot sit on two legs. You need to have all three legs firmly uh, down on the floor in order to have stability of your transformation. To finish the idea, uh, statistics show currently that about 70% of the digital transformation processes fail or create, create don't return as much as the initial investment. And that the reason for that is that people are, or companies are trying to keep this tool on one or two legs and it doesn't seem to work. So 
when we're talking about digital transformation, it seems like we're talking about both technology and also how this technology is used from businesses and corporations to define themselves and also to communicate with their customers. Absolutely. So the, te the technology opens uh, what's called uh, sometimes in business omni-channels, like channels that are uh, both bidirectionals and personal in communications. Take, for example, Twitter as a simple example. Uh, take, uh, take bots, bots being uh, an in a direct interaction with each customer, maybe with voice recognition. Uh, so when you look from this uh, uh, perspective, absolutely, the technology enables, but the technology doesn't deliver unless you really intend and use it in the marketing, in the business development, in the product development, in the service development. So absolutely, technology has to be put to work in order to return the investment. Can you give us some, some examples of companies that are really using this effectively? Maybe some case studies? Absolutely. Um, I'll start with the easy pick. And the easy pick are the companies which are born digital. So they have to start with a business model and uh, with, a, uh, uh, with a set of employees that are already uh, on the other side of the divide between you know, traditional companies and digitally native companies. And uh, there is a whole class of companies. Uh, uh, for instance, let's take fintechs uh, are examples, and there are many fintechs, PayPal being one of them, that uh, maximize the use of, of the technology in establishing one-to-one -one relationship with customers, in collecting customers' data, using the customer data for business development and product development. So th there are whole classes. Uh, now, if you go and look more into the established companies, uh, a lot of them are, as I mentioned, struggle. So it's a little bit more difficult to come up with examples, but I'll come up with Schneider Electric. It's a French company. It's a large conglomerate uh, that it's, uh, typical in electrical production, electrical uh, uh, apparatus. And uh, this company has a very strong uh, ESG performance as well as digital transformation performance. Unfortunately, the list, at least on top of my mind, is much shorter on, on established brick and mortar companies. So how do you think that other organizations that are more traditionally based, how can they use this to kind of transform that the way that they've done do business, even though if they, they are more brick and mortar and they, they're in that world, like how can they use this effectively going forward in this new digital age? Um, very good question. Well, uh, you usually start with governance. So the board of uh, directors, the advisors, the uh, CXOs, the, the chief information officers, the chief digital officers, some companies have this title separately, definitely the CEO, will understand the business model transformation. You have to start with, as I said, with the question of why you initiate this transformation process. The how it's answered by technology and it's answered by uh, 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 also looking at the social aspect of your transformation. By social also, I include the employees of the company stakeholders and stockholders. So 
uh, it has to start at the top. It has to be communicated. It has to be managed. It's a transformation digital process, just to repeat what I said. So as any transformation process, it has to uh, involve all parts of the company. It has to be explained to people. It can be, for instance, I, I, I've worked on projects where people were demotivated because they were afraid they would be fired or, uh, or their, uh, their job would be changed. So this communication process has to be continuous, has to be ongoing, has to be clear. And, uh, and it's, it starts with the mission and continues with how to implement it in constant communication. So this is how uh, it should work. And of course, the technology again has to be uh, clearly understood. And again, um, in the brick and mortar companies, in the traditional companies that are born maybe, you know, GE comes to my mind 150 years ago or so, uh, it's hard for the executives to grasp all these changes that nimble startups can execute with the technology. And last but not least, they are really, I see them as captains of big ships. You cannot turn a big ship around as, a, as you turn a speedboat. So they have to be careful also on how fast they do the process, how deep they go and so on. It's, it's not a simple recipe for success, right? Just understand the technology. And when you look at like the big mammoths that we have today, like Amazon, I mean, is that really what their genius was, is seeing this digital transformation nearly 30 years ago before anyone really even saw it coming? Uh, yes, and continuously applying it. So they, they were some of the first that understood, for instance, maybe the first even understanding the relationship with customers. You know, whenever you buy something from Amazon, you get 350 people giving you feedback about the product. And this is the kind of relationship between the vendor and the buyer of the product that says, okay, Tom bought it, I trust Tom, I'll call Tom or I'll send a you know, note on, and uh, I'll buy it after that. I'll do that definitely if I buy anything that deals with uh, high-tech high gear uh, in photography and web talk, so. Gotcha. Well, and that's a really good point. I mean, I teach transmedia projects. We talk a lot, a lot about big brands and how some of these legacy brands just haven't been able to compete in today's world that they really had to transform the way that they're perceived by the, the audience, by the consumers. You know, if you look at big brands from 30, 40 years ago, McDonald's, uh, you know, they, it was a, just a completely different relationship that they had with the consumer. It was what we, we call the, the broadcast model. Hey, this is who we are. This is what we're going to project. And there's no feedback. But now we're dealing in an age where we know that McDonald's food isn't the best for us. So if they're, you know, showcasing it as good for kids. The consumers know that and they're going to talk about that, not only in the real world, but also in the digital world. So, you know, how do these, you know, how does like a McDonald's, you know, cause if they go into the health food range, then it's like, that's kind of not really who they are as a company. So that's why they're in such a big, you know, problem right now. Like those legacy organizations that are established, but it, for them to change, it just doesn't seem, seem authentic. Uh Yes, it, it's absolutely, but it's a generational change as well, as you said. 
the, the newer uh, generations are very much an environmental health oriented. And uh, I, I won't propose, I already think that I can make a, a reasonable proposal to McDonald's how to change because it's such a you know, huge enterprise. Uh, but companies are bored, they leave and they disappear. So I, I don't want to say that I know about McDonald's that it's in this kind of danger, but definitely uh, change is very difficult because once you establish a brand, and I'm sure you know that very well, if you step outside the brand or you try to turn it around back to my big ship model, nobody will believe you. It doesn't matter if you have digital technology and you broadcast now a new message, we are the healthier food on the planet, or you know, we use only ecological uh, products, or our ESG rating is the highest in the industry. This kind of messages take a long time to change because brand is it's in the mind of a generation or generations. So unfortunately, I don't have a really <laughs> a clear answer, you know. One, two, three, this is Manuel's formula about changing McDonald's. I wish I can. Yeah, gotcha. But, you, you know, you look at some of these other brands like Ford, I think, ha has done a really good job of as kind of a, being an established brand that is really trying to compete in this new world. And they're doing being very successful in the, you know, the electrical car route and just how they're being perceived by the audience going forward. I, I fully agree with you and uh, Volkswagen and other brands, Porsche came with, Porsche came with a very stiffy car. I look, you know, I looked at the images uh, and uh, yes, so they, they ride the wave. So as opposed to McDonald's where McDonald's it's established as a, you know, fast food as opposed to healthy food. Here they can extend their brand to cars and EV. However, look at the stock price of Tesla and the stock price of Ford, and you may have another image of the brand, right? There's another measurement how much this brand really plays in the in the valuation of the company. And Ford is still valued as a you know, gasoline burning car mm -hmm. company. Now, this digital transformation that we're talking about in terms of of communicating digitally and how these organizations are, are using this technology and, and having a relationship with their audience. Is it, because I'm next semester, I'm gonna be teaching intercultural communication. So I'd love to get your knowledge in terms of, does it change between different cultures, like from the United States to European to Asian, or is it because it is online digitally, is it pretty consistent across the globe? So I'll start, I'll start with a, uh, an observation because in my previous job as uh, CMO at Huawei, I travel a lot on behalf of a you know telecom company uh, that is in the leading position, and uh, you have to be careful first to the digital divide. When we sit in a developed country in in U.S., Canada, or uh, as soon as you cross the border to Mexico, for instance, in Latin America you end up with a completely different uh, penetration of the technology. Number of uh, high-speed links, number of uh, people capable to use or having access to, to the technology. So one thing, uh, I, I would say there is a diffusion 
process that we need to consider to, to answer completely. Now, for people that have access to technology, uh, that uh, process is also culturally uh, modulated. What I mean by that, uh, different cultures have different uh, points of reference in, uh, in, in the advertising world. It's not the language as much as is the style of, uh, of communications. I'll give you an example of brands communication. When I went to China a few years ago, and I went many times at the time to China because of my work, I was, um, it was very interesting to see that their big advertising in subways and so on uh, was actually uh, using European models, not Chinese. And I always ask myself why they don't think Chinese uh, uh, models have to be used in, in advertising of brands. It's just an observation, it's just a model, but uh, definitely markets have different uh, expectations. Uh, they have different cultural makeups and uh, different role models. So uh, it, it's not a simple answer how, how you do it multiculturally. I would stop by saying you have to really have an, a local group of marketing. Uh, you cannot do global brands uh, with a very few exceptions. Uh, you know, the, for instance, the top French brands for, for fashion and so on. But in general, the brands have to be localized, have to be localized uh, to the expectations of the, uh, uh, the, the country or, or the group of countries like in Latin America, and also has to be generational because they, there, are, there are big gaps between generations in, uh, in, their, you know, in, in communications, in uh, understanding. Now, why do you think in, in China, China they're using European models and advertisements? Um, I think because their industry was emerging, I'm not sure how is the fashion industry, and it's not my specialty, by the way, but I was giving you an example of intercultural communications. Um, I think they started looking at the, you know, the top of fashions, it's in France, typically it's considered France and Italy. So they were trying to give people the message that they can be like, like the Italian and the French fashion designers. Now from reading more about China, and I have not been there for about four or five years, I'm sure the advertising in the, in the subways change because they have local influencers, they have their own local culture. Uh, so, so they started with this and they developed, and this is maybe another way to look at in, uh, intercultural communications. They are not static. There are dynamic, there are influence and cross influence one from the other. Very cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Huawei and as chief marketing officer and kind of how you incorporated digital transformation in that role? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, first thing, I was chief marketing officer for a group of products. Uh, you know, Huawei is such a huge enterprise that you have a number of uh, product dedicated uh, segments. So my sector was the telecom industry. 
And uh, the telecom industry is going through, obviously, a digital transformation. We talk about 3G, 4G, 5G, IoT, and, and again, the list is long, uh, where the technology is essential. Selling or, or, or advertising or, or working with technology is different than, of course, working with the consumer market. It's a B2B relationship, business to business. So um, the, the uh, communications with the, uh, with the buyer side, if you want, with the user side in digital transformation was primarily done through conferences and events pre-COVID, this kind of uh, events were well attended. Uh, usually they were carefully orchestrated and you bring in both uh, vendors. So, some of the events, so most of the events were uh, organized by the industry rather than by Huawei itself. And you participate in the event, you, you uh, can be a moderator or a keynote speaker. Uh, and this is how you get the messages. It's mostly verbally PowerPoints, uh, short videos, uh, but it's very different than the consumer market where actually your target audience has a fairly clear shape. You know who buys in this industry. There are, I don't know, maybe, maybe 20, 30 tier one uh, telecom providers in the whole world. And we know them by name, right? AT&T and Verizon in T-Mobile in the US or Comcast if you want, uh, if you go into TV. And then South America has two in total, Telefonica and uh, America Mobile from, from Mexico. So it's much easier to segment and understand your market and your market doesn't change very often as well. It's, it's migrating slowly. So it's, to, to your point, it's a B2B market again, cultural communications are important, but not as important as in consumers market. And let's talk a little bit about business to business marketing as opposed to business to consumer. Can you give us some best practices for both and how they differ and how they're similar? Uh, so in the business to business market, uh, this channel of two-way communication existed before actually the um, uh, the uh, uh, advent of technology, of the digital technology. What I'm saying is for as long as this industry existed, customers will issue what's called the request for proposal or for information. And that's a common process. I've seen it when I work at Cisco, at Nortel, when I work at Huawei. So in this process, you get already the requirements. If you are a product manager, you understand the requirements from the questions the customer asks. So you can plan your product and you, you have a slow, uh, because of complexity, uh, you have a slow product development process, very careful, very, in, in the fashion industry or in the consumer industry, you are the opposite side. So the new technology injected, actually we talked about McDonald's, injected this two-way communication. It's enough to hear that something happened to McDonald's somewhere, I don't know, I, I picked up Malaysia because it came up, came up to my mind. And the whole McDonald's brand can suffer globally in 30 seconds, right? 
So, so the consumer market is much more diverse naturally, naturally, but also much more attuned to change than the B two B market, in in my observation. And again, I'm looking from telecom B two B. So it sounds like with B two B, there's a little it's it's a little more structured, and you don't have to necessarily be as concerned with kind of one infraction really completely transforming your whole industry. Whereas B two C, you know, one kind of bad meal or or one infraction that somebody picks up on posted online can really snowball out of control. Absolutely. Uh, and this is also dictated by the structure of the market. Again, looking at the telecom market, you have around three or four major suppliers globally. So um, I, I don't want to go and say, regardless how well they misbehave or behave, uh, you have only limited choice over where to order your equipment. Uh, now things are changing with technology again as, as cloud providers, uh, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Google, they're getting into the telecom space. So there'll be more choices. So there is a transformation process. It's not as fast. And of course, we realize the complexity of the industry. It's a very complex industry. It's very old. But uh, it's also subject to transformation, but not subject to immediate reaction to a piece of bad news. On the other hand, in the consumer market, and you 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 are the expert in that area, as you said, uh, anything that can happen can catch fire and backfire immediately. Right? Anything, uh, any scandal, any bad. Uh, that step from a CEO or an executive uh, can uh, can create a long-term sort of long tail effect in, in the so that the the effect, the impact of transformation it's uh, uh, is is definitely uh, the, uh, uh, changes when you go from B to B to B to C. So where where do you see this going in your professional opinion? with technology emerging all the time, and we're going into this realm of artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality. Where do you think this is all going? Um, I, I, I think augmented reality and virtual reality is still in the hype kind of model. Uh, I, I would be presumptuous of me to, to pretend that I understand where metaverse is going and so on, because it has so much impact on uh, the individuals, mentally and physically and so on. Uh, so I think we are still in the experimental stage. I think uh, we are um, in a much more solid ground when you look at the common technologies uh, and how they are used in politics, in economics, in social, in education. And we can say we can see the transformation. People think it's the transformation that is coming from COVID, but COVID was sort of a tipping point, was not the cause of transformation. We had this technology for 23, 30 years in the labs. I, I was playing with it, you know, some 25 years ago in the lab. Uh, of course, they, when you move to mass market and so on, the costs are coming down but the, the use of technology doesn't change too much. So we, uh, so definitely, if I look at long-term trends, I think the trend will continue, will continue to innovate. 
I think the innovators will come from small to medium companies. We talked about these big ships that are hard to transform. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that the CEOs don't understand the transformation. They, they have to be careful how they execute and the execution plan is longer. Uh, there are many risks. Uh, the the uh, industry uh, forum that we putting together with the uh, actionable knowledge, uh, we call it actionable knowledge foundation institute. It's looking exactly at the risks that are coming from digital transformation and actually the integration with CSG, for instance. So there are there are multiple trends happening in parallel. One is digitalization and the technology and the change of the business model and the change of the social. There is the uh, sustainability trend, with, which is very powerful, has an impact on funding the companies. And this is like uh, uh, related to the environment and the social and the governance of companies. So uh, I, I can stop here and I can say we are in a point of discontinuity. And a point of discontinuity is by definition a point where you can understand the past, but you don't venture too much to predict the future. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I guess nobody really knows. We have ideas based on what's happened, but at the same time, things can change and have changed so quickly and dramatically within a very short period of time. I mean, who really knows in terms of this digital world that we're living in, what the future will hold? Right, and, and how much of this digital world will uh, integrate or, 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 you know, be different than the physical world. In, we, we, are, we are still physically dependent on food, water, you know, and, and social relations, actually. That's a, yeah, I mean, that, and I guess who knows if that's going to even be the case going forward. It might, <laughs> you know, we don't know, I guess we don't know. It might be a situation where we're living in this alternate reality universe. Uh, will disappear as a species. <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting <laughs> idea. Unless, uh, unless our avatars can, you know, replicate by themselves, biologically, we still have to be close one to the other to to go through through uh, you know multiplication of the population or, or the human race. So uh, I, I'm sure we cannot live 100%, at least from my viewpoint, we cannot live 100% just in, uh, in the metaverse, as well, much as uh, meta wants it. Well, what, what, is your, what are your concerns? I mean, what, what do you think are some real issues that we need to be vigilant about as we move forward into this digital age in terms of businesses and individuals and privacy and the online world versus the real world and the digital world. Like, what are some of your major concerns that you have? Uh, I would point to the speed of uh, learning. In general, we learn in sort of in a generational cycle, right? Our previous experiences and our parents' experiences get uh, trans uh, get uh, you know uh, merged into the learning process of the next generation so uh, uh, the speed we learn and the speed we transform seems to be disconnected for instance we you know we had classrooms since the Greeks I think were were teaching their pupils right in the class right mm -hmm. they had class and, and physical presence of the teacher and you know 
different methods to teach, including punishment and corporal punishment that they got rid of, but we still teach, teach in the classroom. Now, suddenly we teach online. And uh, as an instructor, I can tell you that I don't get the same feedback as seeing somebody or the whole class, right? 50% of my class can be asleep and I don't see them on Zoom, right? They turn the camera off. So I think there is a, there is a disconnect between the speed we push technology and the speed that people can adapt. The society can adapt, the, uh, the economics of the society. You know, if you go into bitcoins, it's like, um, is it currency or not? And I'll give you a tip. It's not because you cannot go and buy as much as you buy with your, uh, you know, dollar or, or whatever currency you have in, in the bank. Yes, but... You cannot go, you cannot go to a store. Right. Go ahead, please. No, but I'm just saying, but it's, it's all perception too. It's all what your own... Like, I might see it as currency and you might not and some other person might and some other person might not so the point i'm making is a currency if it's not usable on a large scale it's something else i don't know what it is i'm not an economist but it's not currency i won't uh, i won't leave the home with a you know virtual wallet of uh, bitcoins and go around the town and meet people and go to restaurants and so on, because I will not be served. Okay, all right. So, so that, that's exactly this kind of, exactly what you said, the, the perception of what we have and the reality of what we have has to be constantly adjusted between the real world and whatever we call it virtual world, right? It, it, it's not a single point of inflection or, or, or discontinuity. Yeah. And now we, we've been talking about how like big corporations are using digital transformation and you've talked about it at your time at Huawei. How can individuals use digital transformation like people that are, are self-employed that are like the gig economy? What are some best, best practices for those individuals like myself and others out there that are really trying to foster an audience and communicate with an audience, whether it's B2B or B2C? It's uh, a few bitcoins, uh, heavy question, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try to answer. Um, my observation, and that's my my observation, not only from is from my experience, of course, but my observation is that we are becoming uh, multidisciplinary, because if you are a, a very small business owner, and maybe this business is actually purely digital, right? Uh, you may have some people, as you said, on the gig economy that help you through your projects, they come on and off and so on. Uh, if you look at this model, right, you have to advertise, you have to understand your branding, you have to do everything we discussed so far becomes a one, uh, it's no longer McDonald's, right, that probably has, I don't know, let's make a number, but 5,000 marketing people, right? 50,000 uh, you know, distribution people in US and so on. Uh, you, you become your own uh, CEO, your own orchestrator. You have to understand the digital channels. Uh, as I mentioned before, that's a cultural change at the individual level as it is at corporate level. Uh, you have to be uh, 
you, you have to learn on your uh, on your feet. You you have to change on your feet. You have to change constantly, change and follow the trends. And uh, I think it comes back also to uh, how how you apply your knowledge and and how you how you look at your market. For instance, take take only one one aspect marketing right a large company of course has a lot of uh, products and services to sell they have a big marketing department but uh, part of, part of what you're doing it's your own market your own message uh, maybe you hire somebody for, for your beautiful website but uh, you have to understand what's the function of the website its presence is not necessarily going to give you a lot of customers. Your direct relationship with customers using digital technologies will give you more traction than uh, the top website in the industry. Because that's just the representation of you and you are your business and your business is you and there's no differentiation between the two. You are a physical and a virtual business to sort of complement your idea. You have to operate in the virtual world, in the physical world, and you have to understand or, or figure out how this tool work together in your business case, in your particular case. For instance, there is a lot uh, of video production today. I'm sure that what we put on YouTube in whatever, an hour, takes a lifetime or more for a person to, to see, right? So what, what is my process of selection on your videos, it's not only the quality, it's not only the interest, they have to come somehow in my focus first. And there's the personal relationship, the, the fact that I'm interested in what you're going to teach next semester, and, and maybe you're interested in, you know, me participating in one of the classes. So it's still this personal relationship continue to exist. And those, and the companies that understand that and the, entrepreneurs that understand that are going to succeed and the ones that are kind of in this other realm of, of doing business when it's more that broadcast model, they're probably not going to survive going forward. Uh, broadcast works, as you said, worked more than works because now you still have to understand how well is received the message, but worked for large companies. And of course, broadcast was expensive. Uh, individuals couldn't put a TV, well, maybe very rich individuals, but individuals and small businesses never had a TV ad because they were ruined. You know, Apple, Apple bet the house on one ad, as you know, right? Mm -hmm. It happened they did the right bet, but, you know, was wrong bet would have been the end of Apple, at least the Apple marketing budget. Yeah, very true, very true. Um, well, thank you, Manuel. I really appreciate your insight and your time on this. Uh, how can my audience reach out to you and stay in touch? Uh, two ways. I'm pretty uh, much linked and available on LinkedIn. And uh, if there are interested in, uh, in uh, learning more about the organization that I'm leading, which is uh, the Actionable Knowledge Foundational Institute, akfi.org. So may, let me spell it again, A-K-F-I, Actionable Knowledge Foundational Institute.org. Uh, we, we can stay in touch. So 
Tom, thank you for offering me the, the chance to talk about everything and uh, looking forward to a continuation. Thank you so much.